0: Hello and welcome to the Music to My Ears podcast, brought to you by BBC Music Magazine, the world's best-selling classical music monthly. I'm Freya Parr, the magazine's digital editor and staff writer, and this week I'm speaking to the Polish countertenor Jakub Józef Oliński. We chatted about his entry into music and how he'd initially aimed to join the King Singers, but a love of Brock music soon took over. He also told me about his love of breakdancing, why he believes shorter concerts are the future, and why ambient music provides the backdrop to his travels. As someone known for his many world premiere recordings, Jakob explained the complicated process of working with what he calls a treasure hunter to find these unknown pieces, and how he goes about performing and recording them for the very first time. How has travel been for the last year of lockdown? Then has it affected Ooh. your life as a performer?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there are hundreds of concerts that were cancelled, and uh, actually, the pleasure of traveling is—it uh, just—it's—it it, disappeared. You know, it's so difficult. It's so so difficult to 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 get to to another country because the the restrictions are changing every single day, basically. So I already had situations when I was not. Uh, let uh, into the um, uh, let on board because they just changed like five hours before my flight they changed the regulations and i had to had another sort of quick test like within those past four hours so i couldn't fly even like transit through amsterdam so i was just like i had to rebook my flight and it instead of six hours of traveling i had like 18 or something like that it's it's really it's it's really a big mess and it's it's uh, it's not fun anymore i have to say i have to be honest it's not fun it's super cool to finally get somewhere because in uh, january we had a little tour it's supposed to be a big big tour but unfortunately only spain mm, uh, decided to kind of go on and 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 put those concerts uh on so we had four concerts in Spain and it was amazing people really were crazy like really crazy uh, about the music and and I don't think it was necessarily because of our interpretations but <laughs> in general that something is happening and they were so hungry for like live performance that really even though there were restrictions of, you know, like you you can have only one hour and like 10 minutes of, of music because there cannot be a break. We would play three or four anchors. So it was like an hour and a half or even longer because they would just not let us out.
0: Wow. So that's like quite a difference in terms of what you're usually used to. The concert format in itself has changed.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, now... Ugh. In general, the, the, the regulations is that like you cannot have a break in the program. So you it it has to be just like one sort of set. And uh, it changes quite a lot because usually when I program something, I have an idea of like, OK, so in the first part, I usually have one instrumental piece um, in like sort of in between my arias and then in the second, second part also. But uh, this time it's really kind of long, boom, boom. And uh, and you have to just maintain one hour on on stage or one hour and ten minutes usually, and and that's that's and that's it.
0: Do you have to change the way you prepare for that then, or is is that a different mindset? I mean, to
1: to? not 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 to brag, but <laughs> I have a quite big uh, stamina for performing, and I don't need really, I don't really need a break. It's the the break is usually for people to enjoy and like you know talk a little bit and have a have a drink, but in those uh, conditions right now everything is closed so even in spain uh, the concert hall the concert halls are open but nothing else is open so like you cannot just hang out in the in the lobby or foyer um, to just chill and and talk with people uh, because then uh, it's it's risky it's risky so they don't allow it so so uh, so yeah i think i don't i don't really struggle with the format i actually kind of like it Mm, because in general, I think sometimes concerts should be shorter and then you can add some anchors, of course, if people are hungry, but it's better to always leave, leave people hungry instead of giving them so much that they are like, oh my gosh, this is getting a little bit tiring.
0: <laughs> There's no room for the post-concert chat.
1: Yeah, this is something that I really, I I really struggle with because I I really like to meet uh, the audience, like the people who are like listening to, to, to the concert. And uh, usually they're really writing me before on social media or via email. Mm, that they would love to have a signature or something or just talk or have a selfie or something and i i like to do that i i I treat it as part of the concert like it's it's sort of the thing like it's i I sing a concert and then i i do that and sometimes like in paris it takes like an hour and a half because the, the line is so long and so many people are like super excited and and they want to meet the artist and 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 it's nice. I have to say that it is it is a nice feeling to to talk with those people. And sometimes you meet really crazy, interesting people, sometimes crazy <laughs> other people. But uh, yeah, but it's it's really, really fun. And I like to do that. And now it cannot happen because of the restrictions, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: yeah of course. When life returns to normal, when you're traveling around, what do you tend to listen to on in transit?
1: Ooh, I have actually my my set. Uh, so I know I, because it's it's really important for for me as a as a traveling artist as a, as a freelancer because I travel a lot. Like for the past eight years before the pandemic uh, started, I really traveled a lot. And um, sometimes it's one hour, you know, travel. Sometimes it's eight hours, nine hours on the on the flight. So I have a friend, um, Hanya Rani and i love to listen to her music it's it's like this ambient uh, style piano um music and it's super super good and it's sometimes when i need to like fall asleep and just chill i i put the whole album and 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 i listen to it but sometimes also this type of music inspires me um, and i always have my notebook so uh, I write ideas I just write a lot of a lot of ideas a lot of things that I have to do I have to manage I have to like kind of deal with but also a lot of ideas for new projects for new collaborations for for things so this type of music this ambient music especially by Hanyarani, Rani is uh, is crucial during traveling and also I have one album by Arte Dei Słonatori it's a Polish uh, ensemble a really, really great ensemble. And they recorded an album years, years ago. I think it's from like 2010 or something like that um, with uh, Telemann Flute Concertos. Oh, and nice. it's so beautiful. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> like, I don't know. I, it's just so beautiful. And and it's engaging in a way that like sometimes I can really listen and, and be engaged in the music and analyze and, and kind of, you know, put myself in. But uh, sometimes it's just such a nice background for my thoughts to just like kind of run around and just have a, have a breath and, 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 and chill. Uh, in general, baroque instrumental music is my to-go-to thing.
0: Mm, so you don't tend or, to listen or, to choral stuff necessarily that, you'd ne- that you would perform.
1: No, absolutely not. I think <laughs> I think it's just it just comes from the fact that uh, I love, for example, Renaissance music because mm. I I come from the um, choir background and I really love listening to, to uh, Renaissance music by Thomas Talis um, or Thomas Luis da Victoria, Palestrina, all of those really you know, great masters, but this music is very complicated, complex uh, polyphony, and uh, and it's very engaging. Like my brain, and also because I I did it for um, for so many years. I was twelve years in in the choir, so it really engages in me in a way that like I have to be involved. I have to actively listen. So it's not a good thing for me to to listen while I'm traveling or uh, or exactly like to to have some other ideas and things about other stuff it's just clearly i like to listen to it and and enjoy it Mm. Mm, but uh, but baroque baroque uh, instrumental music is something that i that i really tend to listen in those uh, mm, uh, moments and vocal mm, i'm a singer i mean like i constantly sing so like when i can listen to something without singing i would (laughs) rather do that
0: yeah escapism (laughs) that makes a lot of sense (laughs) so you you mentioned that you were in a choir there for a number of years tell me about your upbringing did you grow up in like a musical household
1: not really actually not really my mom played uh, guitar but just more of a hobby thing and uh, my whole family uh, they're like visual artists. So uh, my uh, grandma from from my um, mother's side, uh, she was an architect. From my father's side, my grandpa is an architect. Uh, Mm, my grandma from my father's side is sculpturing teeth. I don't know how you how you call it, like in English. Sorry. Yeah, but she makes fake teeth, and it, and it's also wow. like visual art. You know, yeah. you have to like sculpture it, and, and she's still doing it, and she's still doing it. So it's pretty crazy. And my mom is a painter and a sculptor. My father also is a graphic designer and uh, and painter. So they're like really artists. So um, always there was uh, this sort of. Uh, Um, understanding of um, importance of culture and 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 uh, visual art and uh, music so of course they were listening to some some good good music I would say Mm, and uh, it's just it was kind of a coincidence that I got into that uh, choir because it's it's amateur choir there was a lady going from school to school from primary school to to primary school auditioning boys because it's boys and men choir mm-hmm. and i got in when i was uh, 8 years old sort of like that so and then i mm-hmm. stayed for 12 years right yeah
0: So what were your parents playing at home then? If you mentioned they had good music, what was the good music? I mean, good music (laughs) uh, in a
1: meaning, like there was no, uh, what we call in Poland, disco polo. Uh, Right. (laughs) So it's this like very cheap and very bad lyrics uh, music. Usually it was like some sort of, mm, let's say famous Polish songwriters, uh, songs, uh, some like, mm, I wouldn't say even pop music. It was more like... uh, I don't know. It's like f- sort of like a French chanson. We have this Polish style of like sung poetry, for example. But it's super, super nice, mm, and especially in, like from the generation of my parents, there was a lot of that, and the lyrics are super beautiful. Mm, so when we were traveling to Polish seaside or um, going to the mountains uh to we were listening to a lot of those kind of um uh, this kind of music so so i think that my my uh musical taste also comes from from that maybe not that much classical music although Mm. my mom loves loves to listen classical music while she uh, paints so Mm. so that was also in my ear from time to time
0: yeah are there any of those albums that you listen to of kind of polish music that you still return to now are there any that stand out in your memory
1: Yes, there are. there is uh, Grechuta, a very famous sort of Polish guy and uh, and his songs are beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So so from time to time, I really like to listen to them. And especially when I go to practice, for example, a new program uh, with my pianist, Michał Biel, uh, I go to his uh, countryside. He he lives in a, in a small village close to Częstochowa. Częstochowa is like a, a little bit bigger city. And we sit, we practice, we sing for hours, we, you know, discuss things. But then also in the evenings, we like to chill, drink something and listen to, to things like that.
0: Yeah. You mentioned in the, you were singing in the choir. At what point <laughs> did you take that to another level and develop your voice as a solo singer as well?
1: So the thing is that I was obsessed with the King Singers. Like when I was singing in the choir, I went as a teenager um, already for the for the concert uh, in um, Warsaw Philharmonics and they had a concert and I was like in the third row, very close. And I saw this group and I was like (laughs) blown away, like the mastery, the professionalism and the comedy aspect just got me. And from that point, I I, I feel like I, I just got this sort of impression that like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want. I want to be a very mm, highly professional, you know, skilled singer, let's say, but also put some sort of uh, humor in it. But it has to be good level, has -hmm. to be good level. So, um, so that was the point. Like I was singing in that choir and because in my high school, I still didn't know what I want to do with my life. Mm, i kept singing in that choir and decided that i'm going to try to audition for the university in warsaw for solo singing just to kind of you know polish my uh, my technique vocal technique to be better in the ensemble and then maybe one day audition to an ensemble like uh, the king singers but then my world kind of uh, got twisted a little bit because I really fell in love with baroque music and and especially baroque music because not only I, I do sing other things, but that was like the the major major thing that I I, uh, I did. Um, and then it a little bit changed, but I still I still do um, uh, like to to sing an ensemble. And I did a little collaboration with the King Singers uh, during the pandemia, so it was super <laughs> exciting. Uh, and and i miss it sometimes i really really miss it
0: do you remember what the first piece of music that you fell in love with was was it a baroque piece
1: i don't know exactly but there is one memory that i have that uh, when we were preparing as Teenagers, sort of uh, this one piece by Thomas Luis da Victoria, o Magnum Mysterium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's such a beautiful piece that I remember that like when when um, our uh, conductor from the choir, our director, she came and she she just gave us the scores, we read the the music, blah blah blah, we were working on it, and then she sent us um, this this recording to just to listen to it and and I was just like, "Wow. This is absolutely mesmerizing. It's so beautiful that I was like, wow, it really got tears in my eyes. And, and, and I was I was really I, I feel like that was one of the first pieces that I really had a very strong emotional connection. And even now, when I'm listening to it, I have all of those memories and the taste and the smell of, of that particular moment when I when I listen to it for the first time.
0: you about uh your break dancing because obviously we did a feature on it in the magazine maybe two years ago now yeah um, yeah. can you tell me a bit about it and how the physical movement helps or hinders your singing in any way
1: i still do it very actively i do not participate in any sort of competitions i don't do that and i don't like when people write sometimes in uh, interviews that it's my hobby it's not my hobby breaking is uh, sort of choice for life and you can stop doing it, but it's still part of part of you. Like it's it's a lifestyle and it's uh, it's still something that I do really often uh, because every other day, basically, I have my crew, Skill Fanatics crew and um, and I just love it. And I I think it's not easy. It's uh, it's really not easy to to do something so extreme like breaking and be a professional singer. But it is possible, and uh, you just have to put a lot of work um, into analyzing yourself and your body, basically, to be able to sustain your career and to actually be able to to get something from one art form and put it into the other. And it's it it, it really takes time because because I really spent a lot of. Uh, and time in my practice room, just analyzing what is good, what is not good, what kind of like parts of muscles I'm using while I'm singing, what actually I'm doing when I'm dancing. And then really, I am very aware what's happening because, uh, you know, for every single muscle, you need to use oxygen so that the muscle can work. So if you sing and suddenly you have the whole arm sort of, you know, stiff and flexed, uh, you are using a lot of oxygen that you 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 could use for singing so it's very useful to actually be aware um, uh, what actually your body is doing so and there are also a lot of exercises from breaking that i'm using uh, always before singing always because it's just uh, it's, it's 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 like part of my warm up like as soon as my body is awake my voice is right away much more ready to to start and i can uh, do the work quicker and i think better but it's just uh, my sort of experience and i cannot it's not a golden rule that you have to be a breaker to to be a singer but uh, it helps me it helps me to to have the uh, this kind of also mental stability because classical world can be cruel it can it's beautiful i love it i love it but uh, but it can be tough it can be tough and it's very very heavy when you especially when you produce a lot of things and and i am a freelancer of that type that i produce a lot of things for myself Mm, uh, and for the others of course but but uh, but I do produce a lot of stuff and and it's it's intense it's it's very stressful so so that's also my way uh, of uh, meditating and 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 having some sort of different society that I can relate to and and just mm. spend time and and be out of of all of that
0: you said that you had a crew that you kind of do it with but for the last year is it quite a solitary activity no, really. I nah. mean,
1: to be honest, we just because we have an access here in Warsaw to to a studio uh, so we can use it because uh, legally we we can also my friends are um, doing private classes. Mm-hmm. So and there are three rooms. So when they are practicing in one room, there are like two people on a huge, you know, uh, sort of gym or, or dance dance room. Mm, and me and my other friend are in the other room so it's of course it's not like it used to be that we were like 10 or 15 people in one in one room which was more like a jam sort of situation and everybody's jamming and enjoying and and and, and practicing but uh, but still like we 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 meet and um and we practice together but with like of course smaller smaller groups
0: mm. and so what's the music that you play when you're breaking is what what kind of music
1: does so the... usually those are what's it, what's called breakbeats or yeah. like funk music, but sometimes it's uh, like house music. Sometimes like really sort of rap or or some sort of uh, hip hop. Like my one of my favorite crews is uh, from Australia, um, Hilltop Hoods. Really amazing stuff, amazing stuff, and I really highly recommend because they recorded an album with the with the symphony orchestra, wow. and it's. <laughs> It's uh, your two ooh, worlds fire. collide. <laughs> no, it's it's beautiful. It's just incredibly beautiful. It's it's awesome. So um, and I like to change the music because it has all the different rhythm and, and different vibe. So um, so then you come up with totally different ideas for, for your moves for 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 your steps. So it's really sort of inspiring. The music has a has a kind of crucial uh, um, effect on, on what you are actually doing.
0: Do you listen to it just when you're breaking, or do you ever listen to it separate from the activity?
1: Separately, also. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, so obviously, in the last year, perform live performances have been slightly stripped back. How have you have you felt like you've needed to kind of stay match fit, uh, in t- with fewer performances to prepare for?
1: I mean, to be honest, I'm kind of good and in, in, in finding for myself things, and because I I've been producing for myself since the beginning of my career, really, so I didn't really struggle with uh, with not having work to do. Mm. I constantly had so much work, plus one of the most annoying things. Uh, like the, the the cancellations and also dealing with, with those cancellations uh, in a meaning of like, okay, so let's do it in a month. So let's find a date, let's find boom boom boom. And rescheduling and finding different sort of adapting to the to the restrictions that are currently occurring in in, in this particular country, um, was the most difficult job of them all. Because this is something that, for example, like in uh, we had we supposed to have a concert in the uh, Théâtre de Champs-Élysées and it was already postponed three times and this like every single time we were discussing different rules that we we can do that concert mm, so once with the 50% of public then the streaming then something else then different program because we they cannot have a break then and it's like hundreds hundreds or or, or even thousands of emails and nobody's paying you for this and you are like yeah. i'm not going to say i'm losing time but it is sort yeah. of lost lost time in your life because you you're really trying and i i'm really grateful for those institutions that i they, they they really try to make something happen but it's incredibly difficult not only for them but for artists like me to to answer all of that because managements cannot manage everything when they have such you know such list of artists and everything is just in mm. you know Boxer. is 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 a little bit uh, yeah yeah messed up yeah. messed up
0: so as a touring musician how many unusual times how many live performances or concerts are you able to attend as an audience member?
1: You, difficult <laughs> question, huh? <laughs> difficult question, but uh, whenever I have an opera um, production for example, uh, like in Zurich um, or in Karlsruhe, the, the last production that I did was in in Karlsruhe in 2020 uh so then i really go to performances in in that place like i am just rehearsing so i don't have to really care about like the the, the quality of my sound every single day yeah. i have to be in shape and, and and participate in the rehearsal but i can go and and listen to to other performances. Uh, performances, so so yeah, I go quite a lot. But when I'm on tour, it's almost impossible because usually it's like you perform on Wednesday, then you travel on um, Thursday, and on Friday you have another concert somewhere else. Then on Saturday you travel, then on Saturday you have another concert, and and that's how it is. So almost impossible. So it's usually when I'm when I'm going for opera productions that I'm actually enjoying and um, going for everything they have.
0: Yeah, can you think of the best concert you've ever been to? Either while you've been in an opera or outside of your musical life, is there any that stands? I out mean, in your there
1: were quite uh, quite a lot of memorable things. Like yeah. for example, there is this famous—I don't remember—and I feel horrible about that. I don't remember the stage director, but there is this famous uh, magic flute, uh, which was also in uh, Festival d'Exemple provence and that production was just amazing. It was so. Cleverly done with the sound booth on the right side when they were really producing, like, some sort of sound effects, and also with the Uh, sort of camera guy inside of other sort of box and he was drawing and it was appearing on the huge screen um, uh, on stage. It was really, really amazing, like very entertaining, very well done uh, because it was a really, really good cast. So also the level of the singers and the orchestra, of course, is Festival d'Exam-Provence, so it's the highest, highest possible level. So that was one of the performances that I was like, wow. Also, I have to say, one of the best concerts in my life was in uh, New York when I was studying in uh, in uh, Juilliard. Mm, uh, for quite a long time, I am a huge fan of Lucas Graham. But uh, so I, I listened to him for already like, I don't know how many years, but I was in Juilliard and then I saw this sort of quick ad somewhere in the internet that like he is performing in new york and it was before he got like really really big like right like right, right now because it was in 2016 i think yeah oh, wow. uh, or 17 or something like that and and i i sent a message to my friend like hey do you want to go for a concert with me and like blah, blah blah so i went there and this concert was just mind-blowing it was there was so much energy and i have such a respect for him because when I like an artist or an actor or whoever, I always not only check the the sort of the artistry, but I also check interviews and like some sort of, uh, you know, because I want to know what kind of person that particular artist is. And he's a super cool guy from Copenhagen, which is my one of my favorite cities. And also he comes from the choir background. Like he was singing as a, as a, as a choir member for quite a long time. Uh, also so i had this sort of connection and i felt it and and i thought he's a he's an incredible artist and this live concert was just stunning
0: what was he performing what was the program do you remember
1: i remember that it was from his first album so it was a um, lot of a lot of this yeah this uh, sort of old stuff but it was oof, it was fire <laughs> oh, it was fire but
0: have you seen him at but, any point since then or is that the only time you've seen him?
1: Unfortunately not because <laughs> oh no. I was traveling I was traveling all the time and and now you know the concerts are not really possible so I'm I'm waiting for the next <laughs> opportunity
0: sometime sometime. So when you're at home or on the go what do you listen to and how do you discover new music?
1: usually you know because uh, i love to discover new music so uh, there are a lot of uh, sort of playlists made by my friends or playlists done by some other artists which i follow on for example spotify mm, or i just put for example a mood that i want to like hear a particular mood of music or genre of music and i put it in check one or two playlists and boom just put it in and I'm horrible at remembering names. So, uh, like, really, really horrible. I cannot remember any titles, like, any artists. I'm really, I'm really sad about that. But fortunately, I have my playlists uh, or some kind of saved playlists mm, on my Spotify. So then I listen mm, uh, listen to them and I love it. So, like, there is a particular playlist which I, I, I like to. Um, put in the morning because it has a very sort of positive vibey thing. uh And it's called Kitchen Swagger. So <laughs> nice. so it's, uh, yeah, so it's, it's super, super nice. So, so I cannot even tell you what kind of artists are no. there, but it's a great playlist.
0: So on both of your first two albums, both of them feature, am I right in thinking it's about eight world premieres on each one? Is that right?
1: Yeah. Uh, on the first one yes on yeah. the second one I don't remember no. there are quite a lot yeah. quite a lot of world premieres yes
0: so what's the process involved for you in kind of discovering those arias or those songs and getting them recorded
1: it's it's a it's uh, it's intense it takes time <laughs> but uh, but it's super 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 interesting i have um, what i call a treasure hunter uh, so uh, I have a very good friend, Yannis François, who is a great singer also, um, bass bariton. And uh, he also comes from a, a dancer um, background. And we met in Gießen in Germany for a production. He was the main bad character. I was singing like some some sort of secondary role. Uh, and we really got, um, uh, kind of like our friendship got really close when uh, I got the offer from Warner classics to, to record an album. And I remembered that he was sort of obsessed with, with Castrati and the program of like Baroque music. And then I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think I know the guy. So I called him and I said like, Hey, I have this offer and I think I want, I, I want to do this and this and that and that. And can you help me find the music? So the first album, Anima Sacra, mm, we composed the program for like, it took us a year and a half almost. So so it was a lot of time because he was uh, traveling a lot and finding um, those uh, pieces in different libraries. And sometimes it's a manuscript. So you have to then edit it into our modern notation. Sometimes it's not even a manuscript because, because it's not uh, accessible. They send you a photo, like some sort of photo, which right. you have to like, or they send you um, a, a manuscript, but in a way that like, it's not as a whole score but it's like you have separately first violin the separately you have a score for
0: the, mm, the second
1: violin yeah the parts of the for the orchestra but sometimes like some bars of of uh, of uh, pauses are missing so then you have to like really, like write it into our modern notation, but then also do the puzzle work sort of like, hey, this is like, this uh, doesn't go together. Like what's happening? (laughs) Because somebody forgot, somebody, uh, you know, 300 years ago forgot to write that there are 10 bars of, you know, of of pausa. So, uh, so yeah, it is a complicated and long process, but it's super exciting because once you find something and it's super risky, I have to say, because you never know how it's gonna sound. So when we do those things, we put it into into modern notation. So then you can uh, put the sound on in some kind of programs, um, like you have this MIDI sound. So it sounds horrible, mm. but and then you have to imagine all the the whole orchestra playing it. And most of the time, I go and play it with my pianist or with uh, with my friend who plays on a harpsichord. So then, I have sort of an imagination of how this whole thing will happen, like how how it will uh, sound. Mm, but actually, you are n- never sure if it's going to be good or not. So then uh, you go, you record with the orchestra, and when you are in the room with them, then there is this this moment of like, ah, oh, uh, we will see, huh? Uh, is it going to be good or not?
0: So we had any so, hairy so, moments so, yeah. where you've gone and put it with an orchestra, and it's been like, no, that's not right. <laughs>
1: I mean, there was one piece that I was really stressed about because I thought it's genius. But the conductor said like, hey, it's bad. (laughs) So uh, so then I had to sort of convince him and I introduced my ideas how to play it. And then sort of because he's a very open minded uh, conductor, he said like, oh, my gosh yes so let's do also this and this and then he put his magic and then suddenly we have one of the best uh, uh, tracks of the album so so fortunately it got like to this sort of direction but the first sort of talk with him and and listening to 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 what we have was stressful hearing that sort of feedback
0: Project like that when you have nothing to listen to, to to kind of build your interpretation. Maybe that opens. Does it open up more for you to?
1: Of course, it is really difficult sometimes because there is literally nothing that you can relate to. Mm, There is literally nothing, nothing. So majority of time, of of times you you are the first one. So you are like the 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 trendsetter, let's (laughs) say. So uh, so it is it is um, exciting. It is stressful. Uh, it is risky because you never know if 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 the album will kind of um, be uh, successful, but I like it. I like it. And I talked with Filip Jaruski about that uh, on our sort of first live uh, interaction that like he also did a lot of those kind of discoveries like Cecilia Bartoli and like many, many others and i don't do it like i don't force it it was just my idea of what i want to present on the first album anima sacra so like my kind of artistic statement uh, and there are a lot of arguments uh, behind every single piece and because i could afford to to um, to collaborate with yanis who found all of those pieces and and helped me build the whole sort of theme and and um, and the album in a way that I, I wanted it to, to, to look like this. Um, I'm, I'm lucky that I could do that and be, uh, take that risk to put on my first solo album as a very young singer uh, so many world premieres. And, and I'm glad that it uh, turned out uh, well, because mm. it was really stressful at the beginning and very, very risky.
0: By the time you come to the the pieces that are better known and have been performed a bunch of times, is that like a moment of relief when you're putting an album together like that, where you're you know where you, you stand? Know, there,
1: there, there are there uh, are two sides of the medal, yeah. as we say here in Poland. Uh, in Poland, because when, for example, I I just uh, it will be out. Uh, I don't really know when, but I recorded, uh, for example, Stabat Mater by Vivaldi, hmm. and it's such a uh, such a famous piece of music that like there are certain expectations, uh, when you play something like that. So, so it's, it's on the other hand, like really sort of stressful in a, in a way that like you have to do it well, but also you don't want to, to do it in a way that it, everybody is doing it. Fortunately, I have, I, I think I developed already my style of singing and my style of ornamenting different composers. Mm, so I feel quite relaxed and I don't really stress. I, I, I'm in general, like, I'm not really yeah. stressing about yeah. things. I, I do my thing. And if you like it, then great. If you don't, eh, happens. <laughs> you cannot please everyone. So I do things my way. Of course, I take um, constructive uh, criticism, but uh, but I do do those things like my way. And I have, fortunately, I have a lot of ideas. So even for that Stabat Mater by Vivaldi, I already had so many ideas of how i want uh, to do it uh, in a vocal line but also from the from the orchestra side so mm. so i'm i'm not stressing about that
0: mm. so with a piece like that how how will you research it will you listen extensively to other interpretations while you're in the process of working out yours mm.
1: in general i first work on the piece i first read it yeah. so for example if i prepare an opera like now i prepare tamerlano by handel I don't, I I don't like to listen because even though you might think you are not relying your interpretation on on somebody else's uh, interpretation, it's like, it's happening unconsciously. (laughs) It's, it's just happening unconsciously. It is happening. Mm, So I prefer to read the music by myself, uh, just in my studio, just me, no pianist, nobody involved. Like I do it myself. Uh, and I take a lot of time because I'm Pretty slow, but I love to take my time because then I'm, I'm sure that I prepared the music in a very well, uh, in in a very good way, mm, and I know it well. So then I build sort of my my interpretation of the character. I read the whole story, the background, and blah blah blah. So I do all of all of those things, mm, and then I sing it. And majority of times, I right away have my sort of point of view, and then just out of curiosity. I listen to different interpretations uh, because the tempo is different the the um, the voices are different sometimes it's sung by a countertenor sometimes it's sung by a contralto or mezzo soprano so it's really interesting also also to 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 take and mm, and learn something from other interpretations mm. but not take them and yeah. copy them
0: yeah so is there one piece of music either something that you would love to sing uh, as a performer or just one piece that is kind of your desert island disc and you can't live without and will turn to time and time again? It, do you have one piece I, like that?
1: I mean, when I started studying, uh, if it's like we are talking about the classical world, uh, I started studying and on my first year, my my teacher, Anna Radziewska, gave me an aria by Rinaldo, mm-hmm. uh, from Rinaldo by Handel. And... Like after like two years, three years when I was constantly working on few arias by by um, from Rinaldo, uh, I thought like, wow, it would be my dream, like really the biggest dream to sing that role one day, some, some, some day, maybe. And then I had this chance and I sang it in Frankfurt. Mm, I think it was 2008. I think so, mm-hmm. but it was uh, it was a big thing for me because, like, from 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 the point of view of of me being a very bad singer while I was studying here in Warsaw and dreaming those big dreams of like oh title role in a Handel opera and suddenly a few years later you get an offer from a major house actually in Europe and you perform it on stage. It was it was amazing and there are so many areas that I really as a a person I relate to and I think that's why uh, our productions were um, also very satisfying because I really could enter the world fully and then also this jumping situation in Glyndebourne Festival Mm. which was like one of the funniest and the best productions I've ever done because exactly of this comic sort of comedy aspect Mm, so I did it already like four times. This whole <laughs> opera, and and this is still like I think it's 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 a uh, it's an opera that I will do for many many more years because I think it it got me and and I think I can do it well.
0: Is there one aria in that in particular, or a couple that you you always really look forward to on a performance? Uh,
1: I mean, there is a lot of pressure put on Carasposa, of course, but I love to sing it. Yeah. I mean, this aria is. Just when it's played well, and uh, and uh, and the and the sort of the the set and everything is is like it's like it should be sort of so like we had in in Frankfurt, it was totally different in Frankfurt and the, uh, in in Glyndebourne, but both settings were amazing and it was so so fun to to sing it. It's really emotionally very very heavy, but I I really like. It. the whole sort of build-up of this character is amazing. So that's why like, it's very fun to perform the whole character, like one aria by one, mm, because on every aria you, you, you have, you have something different to, to sell. And it's, and it's, and it's fun because at the end you have Orla Tromba. And in this Glyndebourne production, I was waiting for the whole show until this Orla Tromba, because we had a lot of uh, improvising. So there was the whole group behind me sort of like, miming what I am doing so that was their challenge like I had to and you know usually people do sort of choreographies so for every show is sort of the same but uh, I like to take risk so so I for every single performance I was doing something different so they really had to look <laughs> at me and do exactly what I was doing so it was super super fun
0: that was Jakub Jozef Olinsky talking to me from his flat in Warsaw We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the team at BBC Music Magazine. Do let us know what you think of the podcast by rating and reviewing it wherever you've been listening. If you want to find out more about BBC Music Magazine, we're available in print and various digital formats across the world. Or you can visit our website, classical-music.com, where you can read about all the latest music happenings, read thousands of reviews and a good deal more. Thanks to Acast for hosting and Brittany Colley for production.